This is real food, handmade by people who love what they do. This is Cheese by Hand. Today on Cheese by Hand, we travel to Colchester, Connecticut, just outside New Haven, to visit Cato Corner Farm. But, you know, people are starting, dairy farmers are starting to think about putting their cows out on the land instead of bringing the feed to them. And that, I mean, years ago, that's what people did. But there's a whole period in the middle where nobody thought about it at all. And they really, it, it was terrifying for them to think about it because it was, and yet, and economically, it makes a huge amount of sense because it's healthier for the cattle and the use of machinery is so much less and and the manure, everything, you know, it's so, but it's hard if you haven't got any support from the agricultural establishment, it's hard to go decide that. But there are people who are deciding that. And there's some pretty big farms that are deciding that. Cato is a 40 cow farmstead operation. Elizabeth McAllister and Mark Gilman are the mother-son team who own the farm. They pasture their animals and produce exquisite raw milk cheeses. Mark returned home in 1999 to help with the farm after working as a school teacher for years. When we bought this, this was dairy farm for it's been a dairy farm for years, years. But when we bought this, it was a, ret- a retiring family um, who were, you know, they probably milked 100, 120 cows for a while, and they kind of slowly gotten down as they were getting older. But they have stanchion, uh, a stanchion system with with a, a vacuum line, and they carry the can from cow to cow. Um, and we. I mean, my mom could tell you the whole story, but it was, they weren't looking for this big of a place. We moved to this farm in 1979 um, because we decided we wanted to live in a, to own a piece of land. And we had already started um, raising sheep and having a fairly extensive garden. And and we came out of the back to the land movement, certainly. And... Um, and we got a wonderful opportunity here because the farmer was retiring and he sold his herd and he wanted to sell to someone who was going to farm the land. So he actually financed, we didn't have to go to the bank, he financed the, the uh, farm himself. And we had enough down payment <clears throat> from both my ex-husband's family and my family. And um, so that was a very lucky, and it was right before the land boom in Connecticut. So the price was low, and we got a very decent rate, mortgage rate, and and that was just very fortuitous. And then this is our actually this was our original. Um, this is the where the, we, when my mom first started. This is where she kept cheese. This was her cheese storage room, and it had um, a couple you know a couple shelves and, uh, and a lot of cheese, and it was overflowing fairly quickly by the time I, I came home to work with her. It is strange to think of a working farm with animals on pasture in such a populated area. But like many cheesemakers we met, the encroachment to their farm is recent. When Liz took over the farm, she built an operation that fit her idea of a successful farm. And, much to the chagrin of the state, she decided to make cheese. Elizabeth now tends to the herd and Mark focuses his time on the cheese production. Their convictions about dairy farming are shared on issues from pasturing cows to the use of raw milk, and it is their joint philosophy that steers them through the big decisions. Um, Well, I think it's the best way for ruminants to be raised. Um, I think confinement is, it's only for the convenience, so-called convenience of the farmer, and I think that 
a lot of that is something that's been fed to farmers by the Department of Agriculture and a whole uh, kind of you know, agricultural hierarchy or for whatever reason that was, and it doesn't make sense in terms of machinery. I didn't like to deal with machinery, so I would have had to harvest all my forage and bring it into the animals. And, and, uh, it seems much more sensible to have the animals, uh, bring it in. And, um, and I don't have a large land base. We have about 40 acres of good land, of open land. And um, so it was a very natural, and I like the product better too. I mean, I definitely like that. It's not, it's not the same when you keep them in, feed them silage or something. I wouldn't have done it any other way. I, I wouldn't have considered doing it. I grew up with raw milk cheeses, and it seemed such a natural thing to do that I, the idea of pasteurizing it. As I I, I had goats for a while, and I loved the goat cheeses. But I hate pasteurized goat cheeses. I really don't like them. So I knew, I know there's a difference between raw and pasteurized milk in terms of flavor and nutrition, everything. It just doesn't seem like a pasteurization is a is is a way of cleaning up milk that isn't really good enough to make cheese. Um, those are all the onions that were made yesterday. Yes, in the, in the brine. Smells great. And, uh, totally smells great. This is cheese, actually. This is actually Bridges Abbey, which I don't usually. This was brined for 24 hours, and it needed it needed more salt than that. I usually soak it for two days, but we needed the brine space for the for the hooligans. So we, uh, I did some extra rind salt, which we do quite frequently with um, some of our other cheeses, and uh, work seems to work fine. So. Like many farmstead producers, Cato Corner has not applied for organic certification. When asked why, we found that many farmers had responses similar to the one we heard from Elizabeth. Criticizing organic standards because they overlook the instincts that a farmer may have about how to care for their animals. Specifically, to give them antibiotics when they feel that the animals need them. Cato's decision to pass on organic certification is a bit easier for them from a marketing perspective because they have the opportunity to interact directly with consumers about how they run their farm. It's a luxury that not all cheesemakers have, but again, it ties to Cato's approach to farming and selling their products directly to the public. But I wouldn't consider uh, organic certification because I don't, I philosophically do not approve of the herd health rules. And, um, I, I know I actually went to Vermont and visited several farms, and and I admire people's knowledge of homeopathic medicine. I don't have that knowledge, and I think there's certainly many, many things to be said for. I mean, everything is to be said for preventing disease as opposed to curing it. But a lot of disease, of course, is caused by management in terms of the animals being in confinement or something like that. But I. Uh, I just wouldn't do that because they don't. You don't. You're not supposed to treat when the animals get sick, and and I just wouldn't consider that. I don't think it's. And our land is is not. We don't use any chemicals on our land, and the hay is pretty basically. It's not certified, but it's pretty basically organic. So I, uh, 
That's, that's my feeling about it. And in terms of marketing, I, I don't think it makes a difference. Of course, we have the advantage of the green market in which you're facing the customer. And when somebody says to you, are you organic? And I explain to them what we do and what's not organic by certification. And in the Northeast, there's a, even produce people are stopping their, are cutting off their certification because it's, it's a system that's geared to help California people producing one crop. And somebody who's producing 15 crops, it's very difficult. The paperwork is very difficult and the rules and everything else. That being said, Cato has chosen to be certified humane. Similar to an organic certification, certified humane is something that the farm applies for. It evaluates the treatment of their animals from handling and feed to the condition of their environment. Well, it's not so much paperwork as organic, and it's a statement of your belief. That's what we're doing. That's what we, you know, it's, it's definitely a statement of belief in terms of what agriculture is now. I mean, people don't even understand what the difference is between an animal kept in a, in a concrete building and an animal that isn't. I mean, they're just beginning to. So it seems to me a good thing to say. Through the years, listening to cheesemakers and consumers alike, one question that comes up frequently is around the usage of the words farmstead and artisanal. Both are used as marketing terms and both started as a way to differentiate products. But while farmstead has an official definition, artisanal does not. Thus, anyone can call their product artisanal. The definition of farmstead is simple. The milk and cheese production must happen on the same land base. That's it. Size does not matter. Farming practice does not matter. There could be a farmstead cheese on the market that comes from a 5,000-cow confinement-style operation. But consumers, and even cheesemakers at times, fall prey to the bucolic view that farmstead is small, pasture-raised. One thing that I I think, if you asked about the the question of farmstead, I mean, one thing that uh, I think is interesting about farmstead versus artisanal is that artisanal is a term that is open to to anyone's use who can who can make something on a smaller on a you know on a on a slightly more crafty you know craft focused way but that could be a very large corporation with with tremendous resources trying to get into that you know that I mean that's that's a term that that carries some some market weight right now and uh, it may be that 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 term becomes diluted a little bit as bigger and bigger players try to kind of get into the artisanal cheese market. So in that sense, staying farmstead may help preserve a, uh, an identity that is going to be much harder for someone to, you know, you have, I mean, for farmstead, you have to be working with a limited number of animals on a small scale. It seems like with Fiscalini maybe being the exception, <laughs> figured out a way to do it on a lot of larger, a larger, uh, a larger scale, but... For those that live in the greater New York area, Cato Corner may seem like a large operation. They frequent many farmers' markets, including the large one in Union Square. But they truly are a regional cheese producer. They maintain a strong moral conviction about the sale of their product, just as they do about how that product is made. It's what makes Cato special, the absence of the need to keep growing, the absence of ego. Um, I mean, I think there's a couple of reasons why I find it, I mean, there's a couple of things that, that don't work so well for that. I mean, one, because it's such a, we're doing it on such a small scale, it's actually quite labor intensive per, per package, you know, 
And in fact, it's it, Christmas is actually not a bad way to go because if we're cutting and shipping 30 packages at one time, that's doesn't take that much more work than shipping eight packages, say, or five, two packages, you know. And so, it's it's all you know. You get all the materials out, and it's and you and you do it all at once. It's it's we just don't have the the setup to to go that you know. If we wanted to go that route, we'd have to change our model a little bit. The other thing is sort of a philosophical question, which you know. If we have the option of selling everything locally, I mean, it's sort of the notion of you know of of slow food, of handmade food being shipped via FedEx across the country is a little bit strange. It's it, you know, I, I it's it's, a, it's an honor, it's a compliment if somebody in California wants to eat our cheese, but there's something that just doesn't feel quite right in the long term sense of you know, where we fit in the world. So.